0: So much. We uh, all have challenging times in life. There are those days when it seems that nothing goes right. I suppose one of the most common is when we are getting ready to come to church on Sunday morning. You get up, you have breakfast, you get ready, you get in the car on the way to church, and about halfway there, you discover that one of your children has chewing gum in their hair. So you begin to cut the chewing gum out, getting them ready to come to church. And when you finally get here, then you discover the other child has only worn one shoe. And you think, why, why do these things happen? Why do they happen to, are, are my children more irresponsible than all the other children in church? So we have those times, we have those challenging times when things just don't go our way. Well, today we're going to continue our study in the Old Testament, and we return again to the book of Isaiah. And this was one of those challenging times in the history of Israel. It was a time when Babylon was flexing its muscles, and they were threatening the security of Israel. So it was a dangerous time. How were they going to respond? How would Israel respond to the challenge that was before them? And so they decided that they were going to trust in the Lord. They were going to put their faith in God. So the Bible says in Isaiah twenty four twenty three, For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. So as they faced this threat, this challenge to the people, they said, We are going to trust in the Lord, and God is going to reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Now, when we come to chapter 25 of Isaiah, there we see the response of Isaiah. But here's the thing I want you to be aware of. It is when we face challenging times that we learn what we really believe about God. It is when the times are challenging that we discover what we truly believe about Him. And we see that with Isaiah. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 25. Beginning in verse number one. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will give thanks to thy name. For thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For thou hast made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore a strong people will glorify thee, cities of ruthless nations will revere thee. For thou hast been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat and drought, thou dost subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced." And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain He will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited, that He might save us. This is the Lord, for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. As we look at these verses, we see Isaiah's response to the challenge. And the first thing he did was to sing a song of praise to God. There in verse number 1 He says, O Lord, Thou art my God. So he begins by recognizing God. O Lord, Thou art my God. Folks, we praise God not because of favorable circumstances. We praise God because of who He is. We praise God because of His character. Who is He? Well, He is the Creator God. The Scripture says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This God, our God, He is the Creator God. As S.M. Lockridge said in a sermon I heard years ago, speaking about creation, He stepped out on nothing and made something. That's exactly what He did. God stepped out on nothing and made something because He is the Creator God. He spoke this world into existence. Everything that is here, He spoke into existence. He is the Creator. And then He is the God who delivers. When Daniel was threatened with the lion's den... He put his faith in God who delivers. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were threatened with the burning, fiery furnace, they put their faith in God who delivers. And the Scripture says, if it be so, if you're going to put us in the furnace, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Who is this God? He is the God who delivers. He is the God who saves. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, the God of Isaiah, the God we worship, is a God who saves those who put their faith in Him. Is it not remarkable? That when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, that He comes into our life and we are born into the family of God, we become the children of God because He is the God who saves. He is the God who sustains those who put their faith in Him. Paul wrote in Second Timothy 1.12, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. He sustains us. When we put our faith in God, this God, He sustains us. He delivers us. He saves. He is the Creator God. So because of who He is, we praise Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 34:3 oh magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. You know, that is always my prayer as we come together for worship on Sunday. That we corporately join together To worship the Lord. We were singing a while ago, and my heart was so touched and blessed as we were singing. Because I looked out and saw Jack, and he's out here worshiping the Lord. And I looked back in the special ed department, saw one worshiping the Lord. I looked up in the balcony, saw one worshiping the Lord. See, folks, that's what it's about. It's not just to come to church because it's Sunday morning. We come to church to worship God, and that's what the psalmist said. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He says that I will praise God, but then he says that he is a personal God there in verse number 1. Not just God, but he says, but he is my God. He is personal. I was watching a documentary on television the other night about Abraham Lincoln and his faith. And Abraham Lincoln, early on, did not believe in a personal God. He believed maybe he is withdrawn, that he is not involved in the affairs of man or in history. But when his son Willie died, he began to believe that God was involved, that God was a personal God, and that God was involved in the lives of people And in nations. That's what Isaiah is saying. He is my God. He is a personal God. David understood God as being a personal God. We see that in the 23rd Psalm when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. David saw God as being a personal God involved in his life. Do you see God as my God? Oh, not not just a God in theory. Not just a God who is withdrawn. Not just a God who is the Creator. Not just a God who is in heaven, but I see Him as my God. Do you see God that way? Do you understand Him to be involved in your life? Do you understand Him to be involved in the things in which you are involved? My God. Psalm 118.28 says, Thou art my God, and I give thanks to Thee. Thou art my God, and I extol Thee. You see... Because He is God and because He is my God, then He is to be praised. And so Isaiah says, I will exalt Thee. The word exalt means to raise up. Matthew Henry wrote, in praising God, we exalt Him. Not that we can make Him higher than He is, but we must make Him to appear to ourselves and others higher than than He does. It is God. And that's who Isaiah saw. He said, He is God. He is my God. And I exalt Him. I praise Him because He is God. And then he continues, I will give thanks to Thy name, for Thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. So he says, not only do I praise Him, but I give thanks to Him. Why? Why? Because of His plans formed long ago. God's plans are plans written in eternity. He doesn't just make them up as He goes along. They're written in eternity. The Bible says that even His plans for your salvation were formed in eternity. And the Scripture says in Ephesians 1, 4, He chose us in Him. That is the way that we are saved. That is the way that we become a child of God in Him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Did you know that God planned your salvation before he created this world? He planned for our salvation to be in Jesus before this world was ever created. His plans are eternal plans, so we thank him for his plans that are eternal. We thank him for his purpose. He has a purpose for you. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. It is always, and I I wish I knew how to do it, I, I don't. But I look out and see these beautiful young ladies and our young people and so forth. And I wish somehow I could say to you, and you really got it deep in your heart, that God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. And He wants to bless your life if you walk in that plan. So I hope that you understand that. We thank Him for His plans. We thank Him for His strategy of perfect faithfulness in that He is committed to His plans in perfect faithfulness. So whenever we look at this, there's a song of praise. That's how Isaiah begins with a song of praise. He is God. He is my God and He is to be praised. And then he goes on to say he's a God who is sufficient in verse number 4. For thou hast been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. And so here Isaiah is celebrating three aspects of God. And he says that he is a defense for the helpless. God chose this little people, this little group of people, Israel, and during those times of helplessness in their history, he was uh, there to defend them. In fact, Joshua was dying, and when Joshua was dying, he's reflecting back on life. And as he is reflecting back, he sees the hand of God in his life, and, and the hand of God in the, in the history of the people of Israel. And he wrote, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who has been fighting for you. So when Joshua looked back and he saw the hand of God, he says, It is God who has been fighting for you. It is God who has been defending you in all these endeavors. It is God back there who has been defending you. When they fought against the Amorites, they needed more time. And so they asked the Lord to to still the sun. Lord, we need some more time, and, and God, we ask You to become involved and still the Son. The Bible says in Joshua ten, twelve, and 13, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and He said in the sight of Israel, O Son, stand still at Gibeon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. That's what Joshua was saying. He says when we were fighting the Amorites, it was God who was involved. When we were fighting Ai, God was involved. And Joshua 1 says, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. God was involved. When they came to the city of Jericho, it was God who was involved. And the walls came falling down. That's what Joshua said. God has been involved in our history. God is a defense for the helpless. A hurricane was approaching, and there in a small community, small church, the people gathered to pray. And as they assembled together, the pastor was leading in prayer, and as he prayed, he became increasingly eloquent. And he said, Oh God, send us the spirit of the children of Israel. Send us the spirit of the children of Moses. Send us the spirit of the children of the promised land. And he goes on and on. Finally, an old man stood up and interrupted him and said, Lord, don't send nobody. Come yourself. This ain't no time for children. <laughs> well, God is the, is the defender of the defenseless. He is a defender of the helpless. That, that's, that's what Isaiah says as he praises the Lord. He is a defense for the helpless. And then he goes on to say he is a refuge from the storms. A refuge from the storm... The word needy that is used there means those barely hanging on. Maybe that's where you are today. The needy, those barely hanging on. Shelter, that is a place of hope. The word storm means a gush of water, overflowing Tempest. Well, we face those storms in life, do we not? And I know this morning there are some of you facing storms. For some of you, it's the storm of death and that you have lost a loved one to death. And there is a storm that is raging in your life. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. She was dying and he found refuge in Jesus when he came to Jesus. Jesus, can you do something? Lazarus was dying. Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. And they said, Jesus, your friend, our brother is dying. Can you do something? And they found refuge in Him. I know that many of you have found refuge in Him during the storm of death. There's been a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a child. And your heart was devastated, but you found refuge in Him. There are the storms of death. There's the storms of sickness. And sometimes the storm we face is that of illness, sickness, disease that we have. There's a story in the Bible about the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been there for 38 years waiting for someone to put him in the pool. When the angel stirred the water because the first one in was healed. But for 38 years, he couldn't get in first. And so Jesus came by, healed him, and he found refuge in Jesus. There were the ten lepers who came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, if you will, you can make us well, you can heal us. And they found refuge in Jesus. Bartimaeus was blind, sitting outside the city of Jericho, and Jesus was coming by. As he passed by, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, began to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says that Jesus stopped and called him to himself, and he found refuge in Jesus Jesus said, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? And he said, Lord, I'd like to see. I'd like to see. And Jesus gave him his sight. I know that some of you face serious illnesses. And I pray about it when God brings it to my heart. But some of you have some serious illnesses, a storm that you're dealing with. But see, we find refuge in Jesus even then. That's what he says. For some of you, the storm you face is the, the storm that takes place in your family that is tearing your family apart. For some, it is the storm of divorce. And, and it has devastated your family and destroyed your self-esteem and left you there. You find refuge in Jesus. For some of you parents, it is a rebellious child, not living the way that you, you tried your best to bring them up. And it's, it's breaking your heart, but you find refuge in Jesus. For some, it's the storm of disappointment. Elijah was at the brook Cherith, and all of his needs were met while he was there. And then the Bible says, and the brook dried up. I'm sure he was disappointed. But God says, but I have a widow down here who's going to meet your needs and take care of you. And he found refuge, and his needs met there. Joseph was disappointed. That was a storm that he was facing. His brother sold him into slavery. How disappointing that would be that your own sibling sold you into slavery. And then he became a a worker with Potiphar, and and he was faithful to Potiphar, and Potiphar was blessed as a result of his ministry there. But then Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of rape, and he was thrown in prison. He, He was disappointed. But folks, what I'm saying to you is, I don't know what storms you're going through, but I know the Lord is the refuge. Whenever you face storms in life, God is our refuge. And then he says, and then he's the shade from the heat. During those times of squelching heat in our lives, he is our shade. Charles Wesley was leading a crusade in Ireland. And of, uh, as, he, as he preached, there was a mob that formed against him and they began to, to come after him. His life was endangered, So he fled to a nearby barn. He hid in the barn from the mob. And interestingly to me, while he was there hiding from the mob in that barn, he wrote, Jesus, lover of my soul. God is our shade from the heat. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. You see, His invitation is come to me. That's the invitation of the Lord. Come to me. Now, to come to Him means we have faith in Him. To come to Jesus requires faith. I do want you to note also that he says, "Come to me." He didn't say, "Come to the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church or the Episcopal Church." He said, "Come to me." He said, "You can come to one of the churches, and I love the church. You can come to one of the churches, but you're going to find rest in Jesus. Come to me." There is obedience required. He said, "Take my yoke upon you," and then what is the uh, promise? I'll give you rest. Would you not like to have rest? The rest that comes from the Lord. You see, we find rest whenever we trust Jesus to save us. That is the rest that comes to us. Martin Luther struggled with his his religion, and he did everything he knew to make himself right with God, but then he found rest and grace. When he trusted Jesus alone, he found rest. Whenever we are walking and living our lives within the will of God, it is then that we find rest. Folks, we have rest in Him. And that's the reason Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. So we see a God who is sufficient. That's what Isaiah said. God is sufficient. He is, he is God, therefore He is to be praised. He is sufficient. And then He is a God who plans for the future. Look at verse 6. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Now it is my belief, it might not be so, but it is my belief in reading this passage of Scripture that perhaps prophetically... Isaiah is looking ahead to the marriage supper of the Lamb as it's described in Revelation. And the reason I say that is because there are so many components mentioned here that you'll also find in Revelation. And so I think that prophetically he might have been looking to that time because the Bible tells us that there is going to be a time when there is a lavish banquet held in heaven, that there is going to be a celebration for the people of God. Did you know that? The Lord has been planning a party for you up there. So we're going to have this lavish banquet in heaven someday. The Bible tells us that the great harlot has been judged and the people celebrate. Now, sometimes we feel that we are defeated. Sometimes we feel that God is losing the battle. Folks, I want you to know that God is the final judge. And the Bible says that there's going to be the, 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 the banquet in heaven and we celebrate the great harlot has been judged and heaven rejoices. And then after that, after the banquet, the lavish banquet, then there is a marriage. The bridegroom is, is Jesus. There's going to be a wedding in heaven. The bridegroom is Jesus. Now, I've seen a lot of bridegrooms in my ministry. Most, in fact, I was thinking about that. You know, you see these guys come down, they're getting married, they're scared to death, and if they knew what they were getting into, they'd be even more frightened. But they come down and they're a nervous wreck. And I, I wonder, is Jesus going to be nervous at His wedding? I don't know. It's just a thought, something for you to think about. He is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And the Bible says that our gown will be made up of the righteous acts of the saints. So we are the bride, and our gown is made up of the righteous acts of the saints. Now, some of you might be wearing a miniskirt, I don't know. But there's going to be a marriage there. So there's this big banquet that is held. We celebrate there in heaven. Then there's the marriage, and Jesus the bridegroom is married to the church. The veil is removed in verse number 7, and on this mountain... He will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. You see, the Bible tells us that we live our lives now seeing through a glass darkly. We don't understand everything, right? There's a veil that is here, and we don't understand everything. But the Bible says there's coming a time when the veil is going to be removed. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians three fifteen and sixteen. But to, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the Scripture says that when we get to heaven, then the veil is going to be removed. And now we don't understand everything, but then we are going to. The veil is removed. Death dies, verse number 8. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. So the Bible tells us that death is going to die. Paul said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? John says, as he looks forward to that time, He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There is coming a time when death dies. No more death, no more separation. And then there's eternal salvation, verse number 9. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So there is eternal salvation. I, I think perhaps that Isaiah was prophetically looking ahead. And he saw the celebration with a lavish banquet in heaven described in Revelation, that there is the marriage of the Lamb that's described in Revelation. The veil is removed, and the Bible says that we are forever with the Lord. Let me conclude. We all face challenging times. There are some of you today going through some challenges. Maybe someone knows about them, maybe they don't. But you're going through a challenge. Folks, let me say to you the way you respond to the challenges says what you believe about God. Isaiah said, In Him we have hope. He is a defense for the helpless, He is a refuge from the storms. He's a shade from the heat, and He's the Savior. Of the lost. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? There are challenges in life, and my friend, you need to know the Lord who is sufficient. Our gracious Father and God, we come to you as we enter into this time of invitation. We ask, Father, that you reveal to us what you see when you look at our hearts. I pray, Father, for those who are facing challenges today. May they find You sufficient. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never come to know Jesus, that they might commit their lives to You this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand and the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation, opportunity for you to... Trust the Lord. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to come today to trust Him. You say, well, I don't know what to do. There will be counselors here to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings as they say, you come. I'll preach you do.